This is the Two Lights Podcast. Join me, Robert Nicolato, and my wife, Crystal Nicolato, as we explore the words and principles of the truth that illuminate the direction and the steps on the path of life. Good morning, sweetie. Hello. <laughs> so, um, we had some exciting events last week. We had a uh, a visitor. A bat? A little brown visitor, yes. <laughs> so I'm out on the balcony with my dad, and uh, Joy, our oldest daughter, uh, she comes out and she's hysterical. There's a bat flying around. For the third time since we've lived in this house. Yeah, yes, yes. I think I need to find out where those little turkeys are coming from. I mean... Um, yeah, so that was interesting. Yeah. And so Joy... I thought it was interesting Joy's transformation and the whole interaction, too. So, you know, totally unhinged. For sure. Like, you know, the devil might have been flying around in our house. It would have been no different. You, you still agree with that? Yeah, so. I'm like, I didn't have any transformation. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so she... Uh, you know, I, so I go downstairs, I, I corner him, he's, you know, hanging upside down in one of the oh corners Lord, of the room, break. and he's looking at me. I like, didn't even know that, literally hanging upside down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our house is like a cave. <laughs> and so I, uh, um, mm-hmm. I, I trap him anyway, and I, uh, so I, I put him under glass. Right. And then I, and then. I tell, you know, I, hey, Joy, I, I, I caught the, I caught the bat. Want to mm-hmm. come see it? And so she did. She came downstairs. And then we watched him, you know, scratch around inside of the little glass enclosure that I had uh-huh. him in. And um, her transformation of seeing, just he's, you know, how little he is, how freaked out he obviously was to yeah, be there. Poor bat. Even I'm feeling sort of bad. Yeah. I yeah. should have gone down. <laughs> you offered. I did offer. I mean, he's, he's not the cutest thing on the planet, but yeah. he, uh, you know, he's just doing his thing. Yeah. And he didn't want to be there. Right. But so anyway, it was interesting to watch her transform mm-hmm. her idea about what he was. Right. To her. Right. And um, we homeschool. And to me, that's, you know, that's a part of learning. He's like, oh, you're afraid of this. Right. Okay. Why? And how can we think about this differently? differently? Right. Um, because, you know, you are 50 times larger than this little tiny animal. And, you know, there's some inherent dangers with handling a bat, but... <laughs> yeah, as we know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, right. you know, like rabies or something like that. Coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, all right. I mean, well, hey, I'm not, I wasn't going to plate the guy. It was in my cake stand. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. so I, if if I can get my act together, um, we took some video of me and Joy and the bat. I guess I could start by watching that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll post that on YouTube. And, um, and lo- I can watch it five times Lord a day. willing, I'll have a, a link in our show notes to yeah, our, our little bat friend. So that was interesting. Um, I thought that was fun. So we are continuing on with Romans. Mm-hmm, it's our last week. Yeah. All right, so where are we going with that? Uh, we're on Romans chapter 13 through 16. Okay. So, what would be 
Where would we go with that? Um, well, when I started the study of Romans, I wasn't really thinking of an overarching theme for our study or for the book. Uh-huh. Just because I don't like to make it say something it's not, so I'd rather not have an overarching theme. Although you could totally deduct one mm-hmm. from the book. Like yeah. You totally could. I just didn't. Partly because of time restraints and partly because I, it just, to me, that can make it feel inauthentic to some degree. Mm-hmm. To have like a theme. Right. Like I, I would rather let the book tell me what the theme is rather than coming up with one and then, because then I feel like you look, it can be biased. Like I better know what I'm talking about in the yes. theme. Or it, oh, absolutely. It's like you look through the book and all you see is the theme and you can miss what it actually says. Anyway, right. didn't have a theme. So I really felt like a, a, a theme for my study, not, not necessarily for the book of Romans, but I think it, it totally applies. A theme was that. It's really important to know the Word of God for yourself and uh, to know what it's saying. Yeah. And so that's not necessarily a direct theme from this particular book, but no. I felt like as we were going through it, there's so many things in Romans that people debate or things that um, people find controversial. Or yeah. The book of Romans is so pivotal, like in Martin Luther's life, in so many people's lives, Romans has been like... Yeah. The book. Well, in my, my life. Yeah. We talked about that in the beginning. And so I was just encouraging the group and myself being reminded by the Lord that it's so important to know what the Bible says for myself. Yeah. So that I can use it and so that it's accessible and so that it means something and so that I know what's true. Yeah. Um, so that's something that really stood out to me as we were doing this study. Just the importance of me knowing myself what the Bible says. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing that the Lord really put on my heart. And then another thing that stood out in these last chapters, as well as um, in chapters 5 through 8, was about hope. Mm-hmm. was about hope, which I thought was really interesting. So in Romans fifteen thirteen, yeah, which is the end part we're studying this week, it says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And then I, when I read that verse, I was reminded of Romans 5, 3 through 5, which is something, which is a part of our study that I've really been focusing on. And Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations work with patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Mm-hmm. So in both those uh, sections, it's talking about hope. And so I've really been thinking about, like, especially Romans 5, 3 through 5, Yeah. Um, how you get hope. And I think Romans 5, 3 through 5 is so intriguing that this is saying to get hope in this instance you have you start with tribulation. Yeah. And then you get patience through the tribulation. And then you get experience. And then you get hope. Yeah. So starts with tribulations and ends with hope. Yeah. Which seems like the exact opposite. But that reminds me of that video we watched yesterday by that man. Yeah. David um Doggins, I think. David Doggins. 
Uh, sounds right. I don't remember. He's an African American man. He's the, like they would call him the strongest man in the world. He's a military vet. Yeah. He's a Navy SEAL. Officers training. He's just done all these amazing things. Well, he what? He holds the world record for pull-ups. Pull he did four thousand. He used to hold it. I think someone beat him now. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. For seventeen hours, it was like four thousand thirty-two pull-ups or something. Yeah, it was ridiculous. For seventeen hours. Yeah. Um. Sixty uh, triathlons. Um, ultra marathons. Ultra marathons. The man is a beast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he was talking about the reason he's like that is that he seeks out suffering. Yeah. Which reminds me of like Jocko Wheelink and some of these other people, Jake Thompson, mm -hmm. these military people who are saying, I, I don't just endure it, I seek it out. Like, I want it. Right. Because they really believe in the transformative experience of suffering. Yeah. And that's exactly what this is saying, that you start with tribulation and you end with hope, right. which is so odd to me. Like, it just really makes you think, like, how on earth does tribulation end up producing hope uh -huh. when you go through these steps? You'd almost think it was opposite. Like, mm -hmm. you wouldn't think hope has anything to do with tribulation, patience, or experience. Right. But then it goes on to say, hope maketh not ashamed. So there's lots of times where I, because of false beliefs I have or traumatic things I've gone through in my life earlier. Um, I'll go around feeling so ashamed for no verifiable reason, but uh -huh. it will be oppressive shame for nothing in particular. Right. I just end up feeling that a lot. And so I was thinking also what this is saying is hope maketh not ashamed. Mm -hmm. So if I'm filled with hope, I'm not being filled with shame. Yeah. And so if I'm having the hope, the hope's not making me ashamed. Right. So I really was thinking about the process of getting hope. And then in Romans 15 where it's saying, Now the God of hope. So one characterization of God is that he's filled with hope. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, you it's almost got a name. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. It's got an internal note to it. Well, hope. yeah, God is the author of hope is what yeah. that's saying. The God of hope. Yeah. So, like, if hope had a face, it'd right. be God. Right. Like the brand. Right. Yeah, so that, that, that reminds me of two things. There's a hope that we have on earth. Mm -hmm. And then there's the thing to be obtained. Right, which you hope for also. So, a lot of, uh, and I, I suppose it's like, you know, it, does your hope go to heaven? Is your hope here on earth? Right. And, and I, I, I think... Well, I feel like even your hope here on earth is, all, if you're a Christian, even hope here on earth is still eternally minded. It is, but I think um, having hope on earth, you know, like before you're dead, oh, is actually kind of important. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying I feel like, yeah, it's necessary, it's important, and not only that, like, that's God's will, Yeah. like, not to walk around hopeless. Yeah. But I'm saying the hope that God gives has eternality built into it. Yes. You know, even if it's totally applicable to life here, mm -hmm. it still has yeah. eternality in it. Yeah. Which makes it hope here and hope. Yeah, a transcendent future. hope. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, 
So if, if we were to plug what we're talking about now into what the last part of Romans is saying, we talked about it last time that there's this, there's this dichotomy between the Jewish history and the oncoming Gentile um, society mm-hmm. that is becoming Christian. Right. And so Paul is addressing this conflict between these two societies that are coming together in Christ. Right. And it's causing conflict. Right. And you really see this in Ephesians too, which is another letter from Paul to Gentiles, mm-hmm. the Ephesians. And, and again, defining Gentile as being non-Jewish right. humans. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so the Romans were coming from Roman background, being saved, and then transitioning into a Christian culture that was Jewish, dominated by Jewish uh, principles. Right, and in Romans, remember, we talked about, remember, <laughs> we talked about how um, the Jews had dominated the church in Rome, so the first Christian church in Rome probably felt almost like a synagogue. Yes. Super Jewish. Uh-huh. But then the Jews were expelled by the emperor, and then the the Gentiles took over the Jewish church. Yeah. And so then when the Jews returned, when they were allowed to come back, yeah. it would have been like a shock Yes. to find it yeah. not any longer feeling Jewish at all. Yeah. Yeah. And you had a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, infighting. And I think he's addressing some of these things and so you would have had Romans that would have been uh, wrestling with their past. And their past would have been idol worship. Right. It would have been... Pagan. Yeah, you would have had um, prostitutes that would have been I a part of Roman worship. You would have had um, a practice in Rome called... it was. Uh, he refers to it in Romans 13... Uh, 13, chambering, where you would have had um, sexual orgies. They would have had these, uh, what do you, I guess you would call it, um, they would eat to, and then they would go out and vomit, and they'd come back and eat some more. Um, there, there was there was a name for it. It was, uh, he calls it rioting in verse right. 13. Rioting and drunkenness, chambering and wantonness, not in strife, and envying. So he's saying, you know, making a distinction between, hey, this was you, don't be don't be that anymore. Right, and of course the Jews are horrified by that. Yes. And wanting to take a place of spiritual dominance and saying, Well, I haven't done right. those things. Right. That's what pagans did, but I've not done that. So I'm not right. like that. Yeah. And then Romans two in the beginning, God's pointing out it doesn't matter what you've done. If you've done sin, you're all in the same boat. Yes. Yeah, right. So, you know, you've done those things, therefore you're disqualified. Right. And Paul's saying, you know, well, Christ has done this for us. And especially if you look at it in reference to what he said in Romans chapter 1 and 2 and 3, right? Where he's like, hey, we all have a problem here. Right. It's a sin problem. And that's what unites. Yes. Yeah. 
So this is Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. The verses here actually don't distinguish between Jew or Gentile. Right. It's just talking about, okay, different practices were showing up within the Roman church, within the Romans and within that church. Right. That were causing division. Right. And he's like, hey, why are we, you know, right. bludgeoning each other over these things? Right. I would want to limit my understanding of what that's saying to what he's talking about. Because mm-hmm. I think um, it's tempting to take that idea and to throw it into all things America. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to take what he's saying there and take it for what it is and not to work it out into too many other areas. Uh-huh. But he does use a principle. Let's see, where is it at? This is in... Chapter 14, verse 22, says, Thou hast faith, have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself that which thing he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So, what does it sound like it's saying there? Well, it reminds me of James chapter 1. Uh-huh. We're talking about people who doubt. Yes. So it's like if you can't come into this knowing that this is a part of your work, that this is what you're what you ought to be doing. Right. And you have a you have faith in that you have the grace in that this is part of what you are the sphere that you're supposed to be operating in, then take it as sin. And he I mean he says Without the faith, it is sin. Right. And that that there shouldn't be doubt in the things that you do. Right. I, I, I wouldn't necessarily correlate doubt and fear. Right. Take it as the word doubt. Right. As in you're doubting whether this is right, right. for you right. to be doing. Now, could we take that as a principle? It depends on your personality. Carefully, I think. Yeah. I mean, some people, unnamed being me, <laughs> get so concerned about sometimes not knowing if you're doing the right thing that you can doubt about anything. You can right. fear about anything. Right. You, things that are like clearly a non-issue, you know? Yeah. And he does talk about this in the context of food. Right. 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 And, and he was... And he had... In there, he had been talking about uh, food offered to idols. Correct. And so, and this was a thing where the Romans would offer up bulls and goats to some god in in their temple, and that meat would be sold on market. And apparently it was desirable for some reason in its affordability or its yeah, quality. Yeah, I'm thinking it sounds like Goodwill. <laughs> like, can I get this thing at Goodwill that was used by uh-huh. an evil person? Right. Like, 50 cents. 
<laughs> done. It's affordable. Yeah. I'm not asking any questions. That reminds me of Goodwill, though. Uh, I mean, in the sense of, like, all kinds of stuff. You mean, you mean the thrift store Goodwill? Yeah, the thrift yeah. store. Yeah. Like, all kinds of things come through there, and they mm. could have been used for any sort of evil purpose, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But my conscience is, like, if it has intrinsic value in it, mm. right. then who cares what someone did? Right. I mean, there is, such, I mean, you know, spiritually clean, unclean, all that. Yeah. But it's like, in general. Well, let's just take it as physically clean or unclean. Yeah. Someone who is more used to the mall and purchasing stuff that's, you know, squeaky clean, whatever, yeah. whatever. Be horrified. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so they're looking at you like, what on earth is wrong with you? Like, did you see the price? <laughs> Right, but yeah. you see what I'm saying. So I think, and like if you were saying that was good quality meat uh-huh. for a cheap, it's like bargain meat. Yeah, but we all know what camp I'd be in. Yeah, well, well, we all know too, though that that you can see the two sides where someone be looking at that, but that was offered to demons, right? Literally, um, and but but he's saying, well, if you have faith. It's like it covers that all up. Can you see that? Like because I feel like this is obviously a stereotype, and it's not necessarily the case. But a lot of Jews are frugal, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. But it's pro- it was probably more the Gentiles who would eat that meat. Probably not the Jews. That that they, would be my yeah. I would suppose, but he doesn't necessarily distinguish. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And I think it just depends on the person, which yeah. is what it says again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it depends on your own conscience. Yes. There's not an overarching rule. Yes. And he uses one illustration, and that was days. One person says, this day yeah. means a lot. Another person says, oh, no, this day means a lot. And so they start beating up each other over the day. And he's like, no, let's take, you, you take your day, you take your day, and let's stop destroying each other. You have faith. You have faith here. Run with it, mm-hmm. and let's not, let's stop destroying each other over the day. Right. And and so that you know so that falls into those those doubtful nuances. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And I love this that the law to fulfill the law is tied to love, and that's what we talked right. about last in our last podcast. That brotherly love is where this is going in this whole last part of the Right, book. it's the trump. It's the, the thing through which your, all your actions are filtered. Right. And so we've got this here. This is uh, Romans thirteen eight. It says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, Thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the golden rule. Mm -hmm. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Right. And that, if you're, you know, thou shalt not kill, thou thou shalt not commit adultery, all those things are encapsulated in the idea of love. Right. And later on in that same chapter is when he talks about their, you know, their chambering, their adultery. And he's like, he's, those things which our society today does not tie to love. 
or they do tie it to love because they don't understand what love is. Right. So in other words, what he's saying is, if you're committing adultery, if you're just having, you know, sex all over the place, right? If you're just gorging yourself on food, right? And in, out with alcohol, there ain't, there's there's not love here, right? The fulfillment of the commandments is also a fulfillment of love. Right. And so he's not separating these two things that we tend to separate. Right. And and so when you go into these the the liberty idea of of a Christian, his liberty is bounded by love. Well, yeah, is that that's I don't think it's Romans. Do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Um that's not Romans. Maybe that's, cloak of maliciousness. Yeah. Uh, Might be Ephesians, I don't remember. Or Timothy. I think that might be Timothy. But that's ex- I've been thinking about that too, though, you know? Uh-huh. Oh, it's First Peter. Oh. Oh, that's good to know. First Peter as 2.16. Uh-huh. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Yeah. But living as servants of God. Right. And then Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free... But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Yeah. 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 So you're still bounded, which is exactly what you're saying. Right. To serve one another in love. Right. Right. So if I, if I have any inkling of a knowledge of love, it's going to come from the law as a source. And I feel like I've been thinking about those verses a lot in our country. like Because America you know, has freedoms and all of these things. But I feel like in this generation, I mean, in previous ones too, it's just I'm really noticing it right now. Uh That freedom is defined as only referring to me. Uh You know what I mean? Like, I can use my freedom to do what I want. And the end of freedom is for me to do what I want. Like, that's what it means to be free. Uh But I was just reading this morning in Second Peter where it was talking, it's saying... They promise you liberty while they themselves, uh, let's see. Are servants to sin. Yes. Because a man is enslaved to whatever has. Yeah, and I think that the context there is to teachers, correct? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's 2 Peter 2.19. Let's see here. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. Yeah. So it's like freedom cannot be... The end of freedom cannot be myself. Yeah. It has to be for someone else. Right. It, will, it would be attached to the golden rule. Mm-hmm. Right? If, if, I'm, if my loving myself is taking advantage of someone else, you have misdefined love. And freedom. Intrinsically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And if, yeah, if my freedom involves hurting someone else. Right. Because freedom is actually just a responsibility. Right. You know, right. it's a privilege, it's a responsibility, it's not a right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right? Freedom is not a right, it's a responsibility. I mean, f- what I mean is freedom is not just a standalone word, it intrinsically implies responsibility. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. right. Well, I mean, if everyone is free, well, like, like let's take property for instance. If I have a piece of property... And, but everyone also has freedom to walk all over my property. 
Right. And I have freedom to walk over everyone else's property. What kind of freedom is that? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. It means it means that anyone can walk over anything at any time, and then the noth- then then there is nothing. Well, and it's total chaos. Yeah. Because everyone's freedoms are totally walking over everyone else's. Yeah. Yeah, and so what ends up happening is the quote unquote freedom ends up being bondage bondage to somebody because love is not the at the root of it right because you're not thinking of other people you're only thinking of yourself right and so it ends up well it ended up devouring you in the end right because if you devour everyone else uh yeah. that's not going to work out better best for you in the long run right. because it's going to end up destroying everyone else too right so it's it's and you see this too in societies where the gospel has been carried into say a more feudal society um like in Papua New Guinea for instance where you know murder and revenge and dev- literally devouring your neighbor um who has offended you or or your enemy enemy tribes that's i mean that that's how they did things right um constantly living in fear when the gospel came in and they 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 actually understood Christ's sacrifice and how they were supposed to love one another they were actually able to live in a society that was free because right. up to that point everyone is living in fear of being murdered and murdering right you know you would have the heads of your slain victims hanging around in your right hut which can't be good spiritually no like it can't make you feel even if you're like oh i feel great like this is freedom it's like mm. well what ended up happening the testimony of the actual i'll call them aborigines although i don't think you could really define them as that anymore um they would he's they would say that you just lived in fear all the time. Right, for sure. Looking and at the head thinking that's going to be yours and somebody else's. Right, head. right. Because if everyone at any time is able to hate you and therefore kill you and eat you, then your freedom to be able to quote-unquote do that, I mean, what does that look like then? Right. It just looks like craziness. And so this this overarching fear that you are living in is all that is left. Right. And in the gospel was able to come in and all those fears collapsed as the entire society, you know, the temperature of the society came down and started operating from a frame of love. Right. So uh, Romans chapter 15 starts out with this in verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor, for this is good to the edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproach of them that reproached thee fell on me. Mm-hmm. So you see this Jesus hanging on the cross, the reproach of Guilty people are falling on him, and his the ob, his object was to finish that work 
to free literally guilty people. Mm -hmm. The people that were actually nailing him to the cross. Right. He is, you know, rather than executing revenge on them, and he had the power to do that, he allowed the reproach to fall on himself right. on their, for their behalf. Right. It's an amazing idea. And you can see how that idea would change our society if we were to operate in it. Right. And the more we move away from that to where, like you're saying, we're all autonomous and I don't have to give a rip about my neighbor, the more chaos that our society is going to fall into. Right. So the more that we are operating our society from the frame of Judeo-Christian ethics, the more that our society is going to be humane. Right. Be human, really. Right. Because I, I think what God designed us for was this. Right. He designed us for that. Right. So there was something that you had talked about, we had talked about yesterday. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of like a... I don't know how far we can get into this, but the idea of a proportion of faith. Oh, yeah. So that was a question that came up among the ladies when you guys were talking about it. And this is from chapter 12, right? Mm -hmm. um, let me go there real quick. Yeah, chapter 12, verses 3 and 6, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so verse 6 goes like this. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Mm -hmm. And so what's what was the question relating to that? The question was just, does God give each person a proportion of faith and give some more than others, and that's all they receive? And You know what I mean? Right. So is faith coming from me, or is God allotting it out to me in a determined amount that I can't control? What's unnerving about that? Because it's you can't control it. Right. So it's nothing you do or don't do. It's like God gave it to you and that's it. Right. And if you don't have a lot, you're in trouble. You know, like you want faith. The Bible says we need faith. But if God only gives you a little bit. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do to get more, that's no good. Right. Right. And yeah, and so if, if faith is attached to my salvation. Right. And, and I, I'm, I'm being given a, a little bit. A portion that is... Lean. Yes, yeah, substandard. Right, that I'm still being judged for my faith. Right, right. And so that was kind of the question and the tone, you think? Yeah, it wasn't malicious. It was honest. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I, yeah, I understand yeah. that. Yeah, that was the question. Okay. So, um, and I think part of that question came also from verse 3, like what you were saying, where it says, According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Mm-hmm. So... I think it's important to really zero in the context of that. So that requires a little bit of reading. Um, would you mind reading verses uh, 3 through uh, 9? Of chapter 12. Of chapter 12. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, to think... Not... Um, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members of one another. Mm -hmm. 
Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that sheweth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Yeah, and and uh, interesting at the end there that he keys up on love again there. Right. So in verse 3 he says, For I say, through the grace that is given to me, and this is what we talked about yesterday, that the grace of Paul mm-hmm. and faith, he's he's using the two terms in the same verse. So this measure of faith, and the grace that is given to Paul is right. attached to this idea of faith. So he says, For I say through the grace that is given to me. What grace was given to Paul? The grace to be a teacher. The grace to be teaching and telling them these things. And, and he would have claimed his mission toward the Gentiles in particular, right? Right, so he's establishing his authority. Right. But that's a grace. Right. How does he know that? Well, it's not in Romans. Uh, What book is that where in chapter 1, Paul talks all about how he didn't confer with anyone else and how God changed his life on the way to Damascus. I think that's Corinthians. One of the Corinthians. Where he goes into super long detail about how he wasn't even seeking God and God sought him. I mean, he was seeking God, but not Jesus. Uh And Jesus sought him out. Yeah. So he's using that to establish his authority. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and and the Lord told them, you know, you're going to yes. take the gospel to the Gentiles. Right, and that's grace because he wasn't pursuing that at all. Yeah. That was like clearly God's desire for his life. Right. And if, and if we take the idea of faith, as James puts it out, James says that you, if you say that you have faith and you don't have works, he's, he necessarily says, well, congratulations, Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. So, and he says, faith without works is dead. Right, and works being what God defines based on, you know, John chapter 15, and works don't always look like what we imagine works to be. Right. But faith still is an outworking in a person's life. It's not just a sterile thing. Right. But what is Paul's work? To be a teacher to the Gentiles. His faith is attached by that grace. Right, yep, so his grace is specific to his calling. Right, and so right there in the context, he talks about these different works, works of prophecy, works of teaching, right? Yeah. And then verse chapter 8, um, exhortation. So if you have that grace given to you, exercising that grace, which is a work, in proportion to the faith that is given to you. So in other words, Paul had faith in the fact that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And he's operating within that gift of God. That's the idea here that this measure of faith, that all, all those ideas are attached together. So, Again, I don't see necessarily a a direct correlation to just the idea of salvation there. Mm-hmm. Like 
faith, salvation, faith, salvation. That's typically how Christians think of it. Yeah, that isn't. It's not even talking about that here at all, though. Right. Yeah. So you really see this. This is like the fuel for your job. Yes, and one of my favorite verses is Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through ten. You again, you see grace and faith and the work all lined up in this verse. Verses. Yeah. Verses. Yeah. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Which is like totally Romans. Yes. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we should walk in them. Which is again just like Romans. Yes. And so you see faith, grace, nothing that we've done, and a work all lined up there. So right. there's there's no pride attached to this. Right. You are a servant of God. Right. He's given you grace. He's given you faith. I, and you, I should say, you have faith in that grace. Right. It is going to have an intrinsic work built into it because you are a servant of God. Right. And that you should be operating from faith in that work. Right. Is faith attached to salvation? What do you mean? The idea of faith and being saved do correlate. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I don't want to unplug those two ideas from this. No, totally. but you can have faith for all kinds of things yeah. that don't apply to salvation. Right. Faith has an object attached to it. Correct. That's where I'm going. So the object here is a a work of grace that God has given to Paul. Mm -hmm. And he's exhorting people to exercise faith in their given work. And that's also why he uses the word, the term body, a hand, an arm, a foot, you know, ears and eyes and a mouth all have different functions, but they all are working together in a body. Right. All this is kind of giving context to that idea that your faith is being measured out according to your work. Right. Does that narrow down that a little bit more? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I thought it did. Yeah. All right. Well, um, so that kind of wraps up Romans. Um, mm -hmm. So we should probably wrap things up. Okay. Um, anything else? I don't think so. All right. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to the Two Lights Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating. If you did not enjoy this podcast, feel free not to give us any rating at all. We would like to keep our rating up at five if we can. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. And from the Nicolato house to yours, we thank you. Thank you.